I want to define agape love coming from the heart of God, but I want to describe it as love is described in the dictionary, is agape love is God having warm affection for us, a great interest in us, taking pleasure in us. So when we hear the love of God, we just generalize it as, as just love, maybe something outside of like how people are, but it's exactly how people love us in the very best of ways, but it's a billion times bigger and better. So love is a warm affection for someone that God has that for us. God has that for me even in my sin. Scripture says he loved us while we were yet sinners. Then we get adopted and we think that he's going to unlove us. He doesn't turn us back into our father of lies, the father of lies, the devil. He keeps us and he keeps inheritance for us and keeps offering us these amazing things. It's the love to have a warm affection for someone, to take great interest in someone, and to take great pleasure in Think about that. God has a warm affection for you. He takes a great interest in you. He takes pleasure in you. He's not just taking pleasure in you, I think, when you, when you do something right. He's taking pleasure in you when you fail. Okay? He's not thinking of us as his 50... He's not thinking of me as his 57-year-old son who should have it right by now. He's thinking of me as an infinite being with an infinite capacity to love. And he's thinking of me as a toddler... In a lot of ways. So I don't have to put any pressure on myself. I have responsibility. I have these, you know, these, these guidelines that he gives me that I want to live out. But when it's me and him, it is me and him. And there's, no, there's nothing that can separate me from him. Not even my sin separates me from him. What separates me from him is me not understanding his love for me while I'm sinning. I want you, I want you to hear that. I want you to hear that. So what separates me from him, what, what separates Adam and Eve from God? It wasn't the eating of the apple. It was that they separated themselves from him based on an expectation of what he would do and how he would think about them. It's their shame removed them. Their shame made them hide. He didn't make them hide. All right, so we have this thing. So what we do, we, we, we have issues of being human so we have sin that happens we do something we act a certain way we say a certain thing we feel a certain way and then we feel awful about ourselves as is as if our shame or our dislike for ourselves actually will solve any problem that we have has shame ever stopped anybody from addiction it deepens their addiction. It deepens that. And so when we're talking about this love, it's like this warm affection, this taking pleasure in. He's interested in us. And the only, I think something that, that is, is constantly needs to be corrected is that it is not my job to work really hard to love God. I want you to hear that. It is not my job to work really hard to love God. My good works, my, my job is to be loved by him is to receive his love and out of the receiving of his love i then love him back i have i have no ability to even love him in the way that he wants me to love him in a way a father wants the love unless i experience his love for me and i think we're in a desert of experiencing god's love I really do. I think we've had, it's, it's been a long time since most Christians sitting in church, they're doing some right moral things. They're in church, they're serving, yet they're, 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 there's not this sense of like loving God and receiving from him. And it starts with that way. In 1 John four nineteen, it says, we love because he first loved us. We don't love because we're afraid of him. 
We don't love because we don't want to go to hell. We don't love because it's a commandment. We love because he first loved us. Okay? It comes first with that. If there's any issue you have of loving anyone else in your life, it's because you have not experienced his love to a large enough level that you can share that love with them. Embedded in the second commandment is this idea of love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. It's in there. Jesus restates it. In Romans 5, 5, it says God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We have been poured into, through the Holy Spirit, God's love into our life. And it's in us. We're not looking for God's love outside of us. It's in us. And we do access a, 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 an experience of God outside of us that's with, that comes down this way. But it's also meant to be within us. His love is transformative. Something's supposed to be happening with us and within us. And this is agape love that has been poured into us. Even in the Old Testament, it says, Leviticus 19.34, it says, Treat them, the foreigners, like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. And it adds this, remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. Now, we love people because we remember how much we've been loved. We give provision to people and we help people because we remember how much we've been provided for and how much we've been given. We remember Genesis 12, I'm blessed of the Lord in order to be a blessing to the neighbors around me. What we try to do is we try to be a blessing without first getting blessed. We try to be encouraging without first being encouraged. We try to be loving without first being filled up with his love. But we forget that. And we, we are all about, we're running around doing good works. We're working and working and working of doing good works. And then in 2 Timothy, it talks about those who have no hope. And it says people will be lovers of themselves. Now, this is one thing in teaching this. This is one, the, the, the love yourself message, the agape yourself message. I used to say, I used to have the love yourself message. Now I change it to the agape yourself message to kind of to kind of take off the edge of people being irritated and being mad that you shouldn't love yourself, that that's selfish, that that's being lovers of men. But you know what? They're always like, oh, well, be careful that people don't become lovers of men. But if you are experiencing God's love, you will be the furthest thing away from this scripture of don't be lovers of yourself. The more you experience in his love, the less you will be selfish. And we never say, oh, whoa, 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 don't love your neighbor because you can take it too far. You can be doing it for wrong motives. We never take it out of that. We never, we never apply it to the same areas. So yes, just stop the, I shouldn't love myself. It's throughout scripture and it makes a lot of sense. If you think, gosh, I really, I really want to give to people who are in financial need. I really want to have a heart to give, but I don't have anything to give. Then I keep feeling sick to my heart that I can't give. So if I spend my time talking about, thinking about, looking for people to give to, but I have nothing to give, there's nothing acted upon my faith isn't acted upon. If I stop and I begin to turn around and receive from him financially, then I have something to give. And I, I walk out my design. It's the exact same way with love. I don't try to love the world. I don't put an obligation 
on myself to love the world, to even be loving. All I do is I spend time with him. I experience his love that's poured out into me. His voice is constantly there talking me up to me. All right? And then... I become that encourager. I become that person where I have freedom wherever I go to speak a really bright and light, positive, joyful message. And this is the thing. If you don't love yourself, you're in complete agreement with the devil because he doesn't love you either. He doesn't. And I don't, I, I, I'm like, and, and this is probably the fifth time I've talked on this message. I think I only spoke once on it last year because some Stevie and... Somebody else spoke on it, but you're in agreement with the devil, the father of all lies. You're going, yep, I believe that lie. I don't believe, I don't believe this and this and this, but I believe this lie about myself. I'm in complete agreement. And it, it's, it's a huge problem in the church. And we know people who are lovers of themselves. We can see that. That doesn't mean that we are those people. It doesn't mean that we do those things. So what I, what I kept thinking about in this area is, is, is this idea that, how many of you have air conditioner at your house? It's a, it's a big unit. We've got a, a, an upstairs, downstairs, we've got a big unit. I don't even know. It's like, together, it's like 10 tons. It's huge. And we've got another unit. And then, then upstairs... In your attic, you have all the other stuff, right? And ours is like a four-year-old house, and so I had to, I had to like get online to even find our, our filter because it's this way. It's not no filters in the house. You have to go up in the attic, and you push a button, and a big giant one pops out that takes the care of the whole house. But think about that. That 10-ton unit is the most expensive thing you have. It's the most expensive thing to replace, it's the most powerful thing when it comes to conditioning your home. We all want our home at varying degrees, but we're just going to use, we're going to use 72 degrees, okay? We all want our home to be 72 degrees, all right? No matter how hard that conditioner works, no matter how perfect it is running condition, no matter the price it was paid to get that, no matter how much it wants to pump air to cool your house down this summer... It has no ability, it has, I'm sorry, it has ability. It has no way to pump air into your house unless you go and you move the least expensive part in the entire thing. And that's the thermostat, right? That's the thermostat. And what we do is we're like, oh, I want to love God more. I want to love God more. But we have this really low level, like 50 degrees of thermostat that was set on. And our thermostats in our own life of our belief systems are set on how people treat us. How our first marriage went or didn't go. How our parents, what they said about us. How our mom, our dad, the love we were able to receive. And then we have trouble, high school, junior high, college. And whatever age we are, we have this long list of reasons why I can only cool my house. Well, that doesn't work. Cool my, I can only, it's, it's say 100 degrees. I can only get my house to 98 or 97. It's always hot in my house. It's always miserable in my home. I know the scripture says my house, the manual says my house can be comfortable in 72. I don't, ha I don't have to have my windows open and fans and water and sit in a nice bathtub. But our thermostat is set really, really, 
I'm getting this. I, I, see, I should have thought this before I, before I settle this. I'm, I'm going to go back and go, we want our house to be at 72 since we're in the winter and set on the 50. All right? But we, we, we need to move up the needle. But it's not, it's not going, oh, God, help, help, my, help my unit outside. God, God, just, I know it's your timing, and, but it's us. We raise our needle. And we almost never raise it from 50 to 72. We almost always raise it degree by degree by degree by degree. By building up our faith. And we almost always, 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 it's based on our thought. So our belief comes up. But what's a belief other than your accumulated, practiced, habitual way you think? About yourself when it comes to your belief about agape love. Some of you have a really low level, a really, you, you set really low about how worthy you are of God's love. And some of you, it translates into, maybe not here, but how worthy you are, are you of love of anybody? So you're surprised when somebody says, oh, you really think that about me? That's an awful thing to say when somebody says something we should we should get used to that because the lord is speaking those things of encouragement those things of life to us all the time but our thermostat closes it off our thermostat cuts it off so when we're thinking about impossible goals we're like man like, you know, we, we, we're, in a, we're in a time of worship like today or we get a prophetic word and we can envision for a moment, man, it's going to be 72 in my house. The Lord has promised me. He's promised me it's going to be 72 in my house. I'm going to finally have conditioned air. All right. And then what we do the next day, our thought system, our processes, our beliefs say, oh, but it's never been above 50. So if it's never been above 50, in my life, it's impossible for it ever to go over 50. So therefore, I will believe, I will believe my experience, I will believe my own self. That's really being a lover of your own soul, by the way. When you believe what the enemy says about you, and you agree, and you don't believe that you're more than a conqueror, you don't believe that all things are going to work out for you, you don't believe that you can have peace that passes understanding, that's a lover of your own soul saying, not his will, but mine be done. And so we get those words, and you know we're, we're a spirit-filled church, and we get these words, we get this teaching, this revelatory about going after the impossible, but man, we, we crank it down really fast. In fact, this is how our brain works. Let me take a drink of water. That's how much the Lord's had to work on me. I still announce I'm going to take a drink of water just in case something happens. Like I spill it down my shirt. You're aware that I was taking a drink of water. You give me a, cut me some slack. So, but think, think about that. Think about how we, how we limit that, how we push that constantly down. This is how our brain works. You come into church and I say, I'm going to talk about loving yourself. And our brain automatically shoves it down to the thermostat of 50. I'm not supposed to love myself or I'm unlovable. And we shove it down. And then we can't listen to anything, no matter what the Lord says, no matter what he does to worship. We've shut it down. I don't have any gifts. I don't even know why I'm here. I can't believe people are judging me. And we shut all of these things down based on our belief systems about ourselves, about God, about others, and about our experiences that we're in now our circumstances we're in now and our experiences that we've had. So that limiting belief 
God, I want you, I want you to hear this because it's going to contradict some, I want you to like, I should say it this way, God, because people listen better than you, Jesus said, God does not change your limiting belief thermostat. He offers, he offers you the power, the courage, the confidence to raise it yourself. And we all have a faith mechanism that he's asking us to believe and to rise that up. That's why you look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to shout today. Even if you've never shouted before in your life, even if you feel uncomfortable doing it, Scripture says to do it. That's being a lover of your soul. It's not worshiping when somebody's leading worship, by the way. That doesn't mean you don't sit down. Or you, but you, that, It's being stubborn of your own. I, say, I will rule myself. Nobody gets to lead me. That's being a lover of your soul. Really engaging in agape love is like, man, I'm like so open to everything God has for me. This is what we like to pray, though. God, give me that much, give me that much, give me that much, give me that much. Because we limit it down to 50 degrees. And when we open up the 72, we're like, God, just give me whatever you want. I trust you. I'll take everything. I'll take everything. Like Debbie Geyer got everything. Dave, Debbie and David, it's just brilliant. It's like, I, just whatever. And it's been a tough three to four years with both their parents and selling the house and all of those things. Going from, you know, from not good to, to not even, you know, worse and worse and worse and things like that. But the Lord is always there. He's always providing. And it comes out of his love for us. It doesn't come out of our hard works. When can we get that into our head? When can we get that? It's not our hard works. Is there hard work to do? Absolutely. It says in John 6, your good work is to believe, basically. My work is to believe. Anywhere that you're unhappy with the results in your life right now, you can blame God. You can say all in God's timing, which is sometimes true. Half the time it's not true. It's your timing. You just don't want to pull the trigger. You don't want to risk failure. So these things we have, look at any area in your life. Don't blame God. Don't blame anything anybody's done to you. Don't blame any circumstance you've been in that's happened to you or that you've created poorly in your life. Start working on your belief. Start working on your belief. Start working on your belief. And I don't mean in a fuzzy sort of way. Have you ever heard the phrase, uh, your words will betray you? It's like you're saying, oh, I love so-and-so. That's such a, he's, that less, he is such a great pastor. But then as you have a conversation, your boards start betraying that you don't might not like me that much. I know it's hard for you guys to imagine, but it could happen. There could be somebody who doesn't like me. I can't imagine who that is. But you, your, our words betray us. We say, oh, God, God loves us. But then our words betray us that he, we don't believe that. Our lifestyle betrays us that, he does, that we don't really believe that he loves us. Because if we're receiving his love that's been poured out to us, that doesn't mean it's not continuously poured out or they don't have to re, be restored, revived, replenished, and things like that. But, but we stop that stuff. We do it. We do it. It, no weapon formed against you except your own mind. Who can keep you from the love of God? No mountain, no valley, no river. Um, Marvin Gaye sings it best. You guys want me to sing? Ain't no mountain high enough? Somebody should come sing that because I love... I know it's, they didn't... I can't find anywhere that, where they took it out of Scripture, but you can read some guys. I mean, they all grew up... Uh, him and Terrell, uh, Marvin Gaye and Terrell, and then the person who wrote it all grew up in church sort of thing. 
Um, but it's, uh, it, I'm going to read you the lyrics. It's, also, it's Romans 8, but ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no, uh, ain't no um, river wide enough. If you need me, no matter how far, just call my name and I'll be there in a hurry. Don't you have to worry. There ain't no, and it keeps going on. And I love that song. And that's, a, that's, that, that's like, that's the truth. But when you're standing on this end of the valley and he's calling you to be at this end of the valley or you're at this end of the river, and he's calling you to be on this end of the river or he says, this is who I want you to be. But there's a mountain there. What we start to do, doing is, oh, my gosh, the, God doesn't love me. There's a mountain there. But it's not you don't you. The mountain is irrelevant. The river is in, irrelevant. Your sin is irrelevant unless you focus on it and you use it to judge yourself over and over again. That doesn't mean be immoral. That doesn't mean any of that. So the thing is, is what matters is your belief. All right? So David, young teenage David, takes some bread and some cheese and some wine. Uh, not wine. Bread and cheese and wine, I think it is. I, I, I'm just, I haven't read the scripture for a while, but he, he comes on in. And he gets up there, and it says he leaves his cart, and he runs to the front. I mean, if it's, it's like being at a, it's a military thing. It's like being at a big, giant football game. You want to get up and see who's on the field. And there's Goliath down there, and he's huge giant, and he's cursing the Israelites and God. And they've been there for 40 days. And the challenge is just come down here, anybody fight me, you kill me. You can have this land. It's the land that was in dispute. All right? So, so... Everybody on that side, from the king down to Eliab, which was David's oldest brother, that, 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 that they're, he's the only brother that they mention by name, is in that, in, the, in that organization, they are all of the same faith. His brother Eliab grew up in the same home with the same dad. They all have Jewish blood. They all have sim, very similar DNA. They all grew up in the same land. They all had the same, the same schooling. And all of them are presumably bigger and stronger than David. And all of them have more military experience than David because David's never fought in a battle. So he sees it differently, though, doesn't he? He says, I'll do it. I'll do it. What's the, the only difference there is what David is thinking. David's not thinking about the giant. He's not thinking about even the guys that won't do it. That would scare me to death. I mean, Jim's no giant, but if Jim was out in the field cursing me and God and all that, that I, all, all, all my family, and for 40 days nobody went down to fight him, I wouldn't rush up and say, I'll fight him, sure. We wouldn't, we would, even, even, we wouldn't want to do that. But David does, why? It's, it's not because his faith was gigantic. I don't think there's such, I think he had a little bit of faith. And they told him, this is why you can't do it. They even, his brother Eliab says, your heart is so bad. You've always been this way sort of thing. He ignores it. King Saul says, here, wear my, wear my a uniform. He ignores it. The Goliath curses him when he walks up there. Goliath is feeling insulted because he's such a, he's such a young lad. He ignores it. We need to ignore, ignore the voice of the enemy that says, you can't do, you can't have, you're not good. There's, there's about five limiting beliefs in humans, and one of, them, one of them is, I am inherently unlovable. There's no reason for anybody to love me. That, and that's a limiting belief that our words and our lifestyle often betray. It shows. And we can say, we can like act and dress and live 
like people think, well, he thinks he's something. But inside, we feel like we haven't experienced the love of friendship. We haven't experienced the love of our spouse. That we never experienced the love of a father or a mother. That our children are disconnected. We feel that way. And it starts from that limiting belief is tackled when we receive the love of God into our life. So if anywhere, if you, if you take your life, your life can be divided up into like six or seven quadrants, right? Finances, hobby, ministry, family, mental, emotional, physical, maybe wealth. You can put some of those, seven or eight, six, seven, eight. You take those quadrants and think of them as those seven rooms in your home, all right? Think of those as seven rooms. You, you have all the, pa- all the conditioning power you need to transform every room in your home from 50 to 55 to 60, all the way up to a super perfect 72 degrees. You have all of that. You have every mech- You don't need more God. You don't, you don't need more anointing. That could come, and it could, you, we could use that language. But in this illustration, you simply need to look at the faith thermostat, the faith thermostat, say, I'm going to crank this up one more degree this next few months. I'm going to crank it up one more degree the next few months. And be persistently and consistent going after your confidence in your sin rather than your confidence in your Savior. So we have a confidence in what we've done bad and we have zero belief or confidence in what Jesus did to cast that sin out of our lives. And we, we, that, see, that's something I, w- I want us to see. I don't want to like say like it's just believe. There's something very tangible. There's a thought or two or three that you've accumulated and you've said them over and over and over again. And you've created a really strong belief system that you take scripture out of context to support that. And then you take scripture out of context to judge and shame yourself with. And when we take the beautiful scripture or law even that God gave us to then hurt ourselves, man, that really grieves the Holy Spirit. When we're in agreement with the enemy, we know we're on the wrong side. God loves you. He's a good God. He's wants, he, he wants you to walk in his favor. And abundance looks like different for everybody else, right? It, it's all different. So some people, 72 degrees is like, man, I, I wish I had a job that may, I made $28,000 a year. Some people say, man, man I can't wait. Till I, I mean, I'm going to believe I'm going to leave for 100 grand a year. Some people, if they made 100 grand a year... They would be miserable because that would have cranked it from 70, their 72 way down to 50. So the Lord's not like, that's why we don't look at anybody. We don't say, well, I wish I had what they had. That, that's, a, that's a sin. Because the enemy's like, say, you should want what they have. We say, I want what you have for me. And I want to get busy and get on those things. I'm going to end with this. What we do. You know what? I don't want to say I'm going to end with that. I I might. I'm pretty sure I'm going to. So when we say, so I was going to to end with this. Uh, Right. So we often, we hide, as Christians, we hide behind 
not, not just Christians, everybody hides behind one thing. A, a person who's really fabulously financially sex, successful, they relate to people out of their success, right? We go, to, we go to their home, we see their car, we get financial wisdom from them. So we have somebody that's, somebody that's been married a long time, 40, 50, 60 years, but like they can hide behind that, those, those years of marriage and they can still not have a very good marriage. But the thing is, there's the fullness of salvation that goes and it rises there. It's, it, it rises every boat in the harbor. You have finances, you have health, you have um, ministry, you have your job, you have your relationships, you have your hobbies or your joy. And when, when, we, are, when, we, are, when we are receiving his love, Every ship rises up. Now, we focus on one at a time. That's why in, in December and January, we talk about find one goal, one thing that's impossible. If, you, if, you're, if you're making 10 bucks an hour, 11 bucks might feel impossible. If you're making 50 bucks an hour, having retirement might seem impossible for you. But go after those things. But go after one. And if you go after one the right way with your checking your thoughts, taking every thought captive you'll start generating a lot more energy in your life. And Scripture says, take every thought captive. Why? Why do you take every thought captive? Just say this. Somebody say that Romans 12. What's the, why do you take every thought captive? Jim? I'm gonna go. Somebody else, Jim's like, I'm, I'm not saying it. What's Romans 12 say? Why do we, it says, don't be conformed, huh? Don't be conformed to this world, but by the renewing of your mind. So our transformation, how many of you want your relationships transformed? Renew your mind. How many of you want your finances reformed? It's not work harder and get a better job. You can get a better job and still feel like you have no money. The better job coming through your thoughts, accumulating new thoughts... Taking out the 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 the, um, the, uh, the limiting beliefs, the thermostat that, that limits you, rises that up. Then, when you get that new job, you actually enjoy the new job and the new money. It's it's your health, it's your wealth, it's your relationships, and those accumulated thoughts. We actually we actually it says take every thought captive. It doesn't take take every belief captive. Because beliefs are often a big tangled mess that have how people treated us, how we're made up as a person, and things like that. But every thought captive is like is like finding a string. I didn't know that existed. I didn't know I had a spirit of poverty. I think I might be limiting myself every time I, I get a job, and then I want to start a business, but all my business endeavors fail, and I have to go back and get a job. And you start pulling that string. Instead of saying, oh, the world's out to get me. Oh, God's not on my side, or it's all in God's timing, or God knows, or, or so, somebody did something. It would have worked except for so-and-so blew it, or the economy collapsed. We start blaming things around us, but there's that one thread, and we take it out, and we take it captive. We think we only take lustful thoughts. That's all of us guys were taught. Take lustful thoughts captive. Boom! You stuff it down, but you, you, know, you take it captive, and you actually inspect it. And you're like, oh, this might, this might be something here. I might, I might think poor. My thermostat might be 50. I keep declaring that, that, that God's provision is there. I keep declaring that I'm going to be blessed to be a blessing to my community. I keep declaring that, that my God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, but I haven't even seen a good side of beef in a long time. So we have, it's, we have this thermostat set. 
And we should be hearing ourselves say these things, but we don't pay much attention to ourselves. We don't pay attention to what we say. We don't pay attention uh, of our God blame that we have. We don't pay attention to our circumstance blame. We don't pay attention to our shame. That's why quiet, meditative, what are you saying with no scripture in front of you? Because people hide in scripture. People can hide in worship. You can hide in church. You can hide in your moral goodness. None of those things will break you loose in these areas and release you into what you really were created to be and do. All right, let's go ahead and stand up.